I mean, you know this, you can't play basketball looking over your shoulders. You have to have an opportunity to sometimes play through mistakes. And he was never really given an opportunity. He was constantly always looking over his shoulder. And last night he was like, it feels, he even tweeted it out. He said, it feels so good to play being handcuffed. And he was like, if you know, you know. He basically, I know what he was doing. He was shooting a little shot, but it was good for him. And I, I was happy to see him out there being himself and, and being happy playing basketball, not just like going through the motions. Tom, the funniest thing was, you know, I know Eddie a long time. And I remember when Jalen was a kid. But then, you know, because Eddie moved around and, you know, I hadn't seen Jalen in forever. And then I remember when he was maybe like a junior in high school, someone said, they're talking about Jalen. And I said, is that Eddie's kid? And they're like, yeah. And I said, oh, wow, what's he play like? And I said, it's like, Eddie, but he shoots it a little bit more. <laughs> I'm like, more? How is that even possible? <laughs> hey, no, you know what? The whole thing, he doesn't play like me at all, man. It's, it's kind of crazy. You know, he has the energy and shit like that where, uh-huh. you know, wants to get involved, you know, talk a little bit, you know, with his teammates, a little bit to the talk a little shit sometimes here and there, but all in the game. But he got better defense than I ever had on ball defense. You know, his instincts are better than me naturally. He don't shoot it better than me, though. He shoots it decent, <laughs> but he can't shoot it not just yet. And I hope he can. You know what I mean? I always wanted to be better, but his decision-making is better than what I have. His feel for the game is better. So all of that is way better than what I was at that, at that particular time in my life. Real spiel. Welcome to the Haver Show. I'm Tom Haver, sir. That's me now, Hanson. This is Haver, sir. That's me Welcome to the Haver Show. I'm Tom Haver, sir. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstrow. That's Amin Al Hassan. On this episode, man, we have a guy that I covered in 2010-11 for the Miami Heat. I was with ESPN. I don't know if you remember this, Eddie House, champion Eddie House, 11-year NBA career. We'll get to your career at ASU. That season, ESPN hired four writers to come down and cover the Miami Heat in 2010-2011. I was one of those four. And I remember just about everything that happened that season, but I probably know one-tenth of what went down in that 2010-2011 season. That was crazy. It's probably the craziest NBA season that I've ever been a part of. So first of all, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. You're in New Mexico right now. Thanks for having me, man. I'm doing real good. Blessed. Glad you guys had me on and want to have a lot of fun, man. Let's do this. Eddie, I've talked to you about this in the past a lot of times. You are six feet tall. No one would confuse you for a Russell Westbrook-level athlete. And you came in the league as a scorer at a time when if you're six feet tall in this league, you had to be a point guard. There was no such thing as kind of a scoring guard or a a smaller shooting guard like that. And yet you carved out an 11-year career uh, and, and obviously won a championship in Boston and was on some great playoff teams uh, in Phoenix and and in Miami. What do you attribute like your success to given that you are the quintessential against all odds type of player? I would say number one, it was, that's how I came up. You know, I wasn't highly recruited, uh, got looked over in high school. Uh, I, I had to, tra- I had to transfer first off because they were telling me I was going to have to, first of all, I had to play freshman as a high school and I averaged like 35, right, as the freshman. I'm like, I should be playing varsity. But 
They saying this is the, the way you have to do it. So, okay, cool. I'll take that. Come back the next year. No one, I put in a lot of work that summer. They say, no, you don't even try out for varsity. You're going to play JV. I end up transferring and, you know, got on the varsity team. So then I had to work my way up the ladder at a whole new school. Um, so I always felt like I've, I've been grinding. I always had to prove same thing happened when I went to college. I wanted to go to Cal, Berkeley. Uh, my mom worked at Cal. I used to go up to the campus and walk around there as a youngster and imagine being a part of the campus. Jay Kidd was like my favorite player of all time, basketball-wise. And, and he went to Cal, so I wanted to follow in those steps. They didn't send me a questionnaire. I'm telling you, I got a questionnaire from <laughs> everybody in the country. They just want to know what favorite book I like. You know, what book do I read? You know, what's my favorite food? Cal didn't even send me that. And so I went to Arizona State, and that was a chip on my shoulder. And that's why, you know, I have so much history against Cal. I scored the last basket at Harmon Arena against Cal. So when they closed that building down, last basket was a layup made by me. They opened up a new building. I blessed the new building with 61. I always had a chip on my shoulder, especially against Cal. And, and I think that's just really what it is. I've always been, like you said, against all odds. You, you know, I come into the league as a combo guard, but trying to be a point guard, but that really wasn't my game. You know, I mean, I can make plays, but being a playbreaker wasn't my game. So I think where I found my niche was knowing that if you want me to do one thing, I need to do it extremely well for me to latch on and stay around on, on other teams. And that was spread the floor when I get opportunity to knock down a shot, knock down a shot. And if I, and I mean, you know, if I start getting rolling, I mean, them shots could come fast and could come in abundance. So uh, I think just, you know, stay in the course, man, and, and and also loving the game. I love the game of basketball, so I would have played for free. You know, I did it my whole life for free, so having the opportunity to do it and get paid for it, I mean, I, I couldn't be, have been more blessed. So I, I think that would attribute my grind and my hustle to that. Tom, one of my favorite things the, the year we had Eddie in Phoenix was there were games were legit, like it was game over. We're down, and it's like, all right, I guess this game's over. And so Eddie's in there, and then, like you said, get on one of them rolls, and all of a sudden, like, wait a second, <laughs> we got a chance to win this game. Remember that? It was at New Orleans? Yeah, New Orleans had 16 in the fourth. Tom, the game was over. <laughs> like, we, like, we were just like, all right, man, you know, like, you win some, you lose some. And Eddie gets on fire. It's like, oh, shit, we can still win this game, and we got right back into it, man. That's, I mean, like, I've never seen anything like it in terms of just you don't know when – that barrage is coming. But once it comes, there's nothing you could do. Watch out. Yeah. That is the truth. That was in Baton Rouge. We played that game in Baton Rouge at LSU. Yep. What's that feel like? Would you feel it coming on? Or does every shot feel the same for you? Every shot feel the same. But once you hit a couple, and, and it's the way they go in, too. When mm. I see them and they, like, nothing but draws, and it's just, wop, wop, wop. And that net is snapping. It's, it, after that, it's, it's like, okay, it, they might be in trouble. If I get a couple looks, and, you know, I only need a half second, too. And that that's all I really need. So, if I, you know, I'm, I'm sprinting around, running around, setting guys up. And as soon as I catch it, that ball's gone. And it's an amazing feeling, man. There's nothing like it. I mean, there is nothing like getting on a roll like that. All right. Here in uh, Jack McCollum's book, Seven Seconds or Less, if you haven't read it, you got to go read this book. So many good stories in here. But one of the sections that I pulled up today about Eddie House, 
Back in the winter months, House had been playing so well that he was an early candidate for six-man award. He was D'Antoni's torch, instant offense off the bench. One game in particular against the Denver, Denver Nuggets at home on December 2nd sums up his contributions. He made five jumpers in a row to pull the Suns out of trouble. And on one play, the ball was barely in his hands before he got his quick one-two pity pat steps down and shot it in rhythm. It was the game-clinching three-pointer from the right wing. And as the Nuggets called timeout to cool him off, House sat down, received high fives all around and said, fuck those motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about right. That sounds about right. (laughs) Jack continues. He says, that is classic Eddie House. Fuck those motherfuckers. On at least a half dozen occasions in his bravado, he had carried the Suns in those early months. House and his teammates loved it when Noel Gillespie found the scouting report of an opposing team that said this about House. Ready? Yeah. Won't shoot it unless he has it in his hands. <laughs> <laughs> Only when he hey, touches it. You can't make it unless you take it. You can't make it unless you take it. I'm telling you. Yo. Let that thing go. Won't shoot it unless he has the ball in his hands. I mean, that sums up Eddie House right there. I mean, there, there's so many times where you felt you were like in fuego, but nothing can compare, right, to at Cal, 61 points going back home in front of that crowd and doing to a team that didn't even give you a questionnaire? Yes, because the fact of the matter is I did it in front of my family. You know, that was my last game in front of my family. Some of them relatives, you know, didn't make it too much longer after that. So it was that was the most rewarding one. You know, I had family, friends there and and to do it and open that building up that it was almost like for me in my senior year being a stamp of y'all fucked up. I could have been here. You guys could have been getting all these buckets, but y'all looked over me. I was in the backyard. I wanted to come here. So really, it was a double middle finger to him. Like, Ugh. you know what I mean? Eddie, what was the reason they didn't repeat? Was there like a... Yeah, did you find out? They thought I was a junior college player. That's what came out of Ty Bozeman's mouth. Jesus Christ. I wasn't a D1 player. I was a junior college player. Damn. Because I got to imagine when you're getting letters from a bunch of other schools and then the one in your backyard is refusing to – I got to imagine it was something like personal or something like that. Whereas – because it, it can't that, – that doesn't make sense, Eddie. I know it doesn't. I still can't figure it out to this day except like, you know, he said it out of his mouth. He didn't think that I was a, a Division One. I. I wasn't a, a, a high major player. I was a, a mid-major at most, at, at best, but really – I'm a Juco player and I had to go to junior college first to get my shit together. I mean, like the stories about him at ASU are crazy. Like I'm reading this story here. I mean, ready? Ready for this one? October 23rd, 1998. Arizona State junior guard Eddie House will be out four to six weeks with a broken jaw, which he suffered Thursday evening, October 22nd in practice. His jaw will be wired shut for four to six weeks. How long did you take off before you played your next game after breaking your jaw? I played the next game. I didn't take any time off. I didn't miss one game in college. I didn't miss one game. And I might have missed a couple practices due to that, but I I didn't miss one game in college. I played with my, my mouth wired shut. When I got it unwired, this is funny. I got it unwired. We played Sean and uh, Sean Marion, UNLV. UNLV, yeah. Yeah, we played them. I ended up with 34 with the first time I got my mouth unwired. I was able to talk again. <laughs> I about to say, that must have been the hardest moment of your life, man. Eddie House not being able to talk while playing basketball, man. You don't understand, son. Hey, I still talk to my team, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what the worst part was, was that only thing I ate 
before all that time, I had to make protein shakes. So you remember metrics? Uh, metrics? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I yeah. metrics, those powder. I would do that with ice cream and milk, and I would drink those. That's all I would drink. Like, oh, that's man. what I had m- morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, and night. So my first meal, when I got my shit unwired, I went to McDonald's out of all places. Bro. I said, <laughs> I want a burger, man. I could barely open my mouth like this. Like, Cause it was shut so much. I'm like stuffing the fry in my mouth and my teeth were so tender that I could barely eat the fry. Man, I'm like, I forced myself to do it. I was like, I gotta do it. I gotta do it. But yeah, it was, that was the worst part about it, man. You know, being, I actually, it was a blessing in disguise cause I was in the best shape of my life because of that, because I really was forced to breathe through my nose. Mm-hmm. The whole time I was playing. So barely through my mouth, but all through my nose. So, I was like in the best, best, best shape ever. You know, when I finally got it out and was able to breathe out my mouth, I mean, I, I can run for days. I never got tired. But what did the doctors say? So you break your jaw. Like what, first of all, how did it happen in practice? In practice, we were running this drill. Uh, what the hell was the name of that drill? Can't remember. Well, anyway, the drill was you got to take a charge and then go dive on a loose ball. I went to go run this guy over and he went back Boom. And I ran right into it. Bam. As soon as I ran into a full speed, I was like, damn. And I looked at my uh, at, at Mike Batiste. I'm like, I said, is my teeth touching? And he was like, yeah. I was like, I can't feel my shit. And he was like, yeah, yo. I was like, I think I broke my shit. And then so I had surgery that night to wire it up. And so when I got to the surgery, they fucked up and I had to go back in. I remember laying, I was laying on the on the couch in the in the coach's office right after surgery was done and they came and woke me up was like hey you got to go back in they did something wrong i'm like oh no what and so i had to go back in no, no what you said was <laughs> no, no i i don't even know what i said i, I probably was i know i was probably cussing like because i mean i was under anesthesia and all that but i was um i was extremely mad that i had to go back and then when i went back you know, got done. I mean, I got pictures at home and stuff. My, my, I mean, my jaw was like super, super, super swollen. And I remember my pop came out, you know, helped me through that little bit of time right there, you know, because it, it was tough. I, I didn't know if I was going to be playing. I didn't know. I was kind of scared, to be honest with you. And um, once I found out I was going to be all right, I had to play. Once the swelling subsided a little bit, just went out there and hooped. It was no problem. That's crazy, man. The doctors couldn't have let you go out on the floor, right? Like, you're just like, I'm Eddie House and I'm playing. I don't know. To be honest with you, I was just like, I'm playing. I'm cool. I was like, there's nothing wrong with my hands. Nothing wrong with my legs. I was like, my jaw is shut. What does that mean? <laughs> I mean, I could play. I could still move around. I'm fine. I remember. So after I broke, after I broke it though, because I know I had to go get that surgery. I went to the football game that night. We were playing Stanford. I, I will never forget it. And I sat on the Stanford side, and I sat in the front row, and I was just like reflecting. I was really upset, like because I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I was just like, like I said, I was scared more than anything. And um, I remember just watching the game. And it was hurting so bad. Like it was like it was like the worst headache, worst pain like I ever had in my life in this area. And um, I remember just watching the game like, damn, man, like this is my junior year. I'm supposed to be balling out this year. Like, look what happened, man. Like, damn. And then I was like, well, if I could get out there and play, I'm just going to play. And, you know, they ended up letting me get out there. 
And, you know, the rest is history. You know, I had a good time. I actually played well my junior year, extremely well. You averaged 16 points over the next, like, six games after getting a broken jaw where you couldn't even, like, feel the half of your face, which is nuts. I mean, I remember Justin Gray and Chris Paul at Wake. Justin Gray did the same thing where he played with a, his jaw wired shut. But, like, I don't know, Eddie, for those who don't understand that you, you talk about scared, you talk about fear, like, what that was, that was your fear that your career was in the balance of like pro, playing pro, playing that season. Like, what was the scare factor for you in that moment? And I worked my ass off that whole summer. I stayed at school. I didn't go back home. I worked on my body. I got bigger. I got stronger. I felt a lot faster. I felt like this was my year. And now I'm going to have to sit back, sit out. You know, when you take off two, three, four weeks, when you got to get back, it usually takes two, three, four weeks to get back into your rhythm. And now those are just games and days that I knew that I didn't have to waste. You know what I mean? I was a junior. The next year, if I had to come back, next year I was going to be a senior. You know, those just those days were going away and I weren't going to get them back. And that's what it really what I was kind of afraid of, that I would, would lose opportunities and lose chances. And, you know, you you go to the bench and somebody starts playing well. Hard to find yourself back into that rotation, you know, especially if they're playing extremely well. And then now you have to come in trying to get back to that spot. It's just all these things that I was just thinking, all the scenarios, all the equations. And I was like, I just got to be out there. I got, I got to stay out there. There's nothing wrong with my legs, nothing wrong with my hands. My, I'm good. My mind is good. I just got to fight through a little bit of pain. When the moment for intimacy arrives, you need to be ready. Roman ready. Whether you've been in a relationship for years or you're just getting started, having confidence that comes from preparation means you're free to enjoy the moment when the moment comes. Even though you're far from ordinary, the truth is that ED is really common. In fact, 52% of guys aged 40 to 70 experience some form of erectile dysfunction. So here's what I need you to do. Go to GetRoman.com slash Habershow, H-A-B-E-R-S-H-O-W, right now and go speak to a U.S. licensed healthcare professional about erectile dysfunction. And guess what? We'll get you $15 off your first month of treatment. ED is a lot more common than people think. You know, as I said, 52% of guys between 40 and 70 will experience some form of ED. Roman Ready is confidence personified. It's a self-assurance that comes from knowing you prepared yourself for the moment intimacy arrives. Roman system is confidential, totally discreet. There's no big logos or labels on the packages. And with Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for erectile dysfunction all from the comfort and privacy of your home. It works really easy. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you, find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, it ships you free with two-day shipping. Straightforward, convenient, discreet. That's how I would describe this process. And it's real easy for you. All you got to do is go to GetRoman.com slash Habershow and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home, folks. Go to GetRoman.com slash Habershow. Again, that's H-A-B-E-R-S-H-O-W. If you're prescribed, you'll get $15 off your first month of ED treatment. Make sure you're ready to have confidence and control this fall. Roman ready. You're coming out in the draft in 2000. You got drafted by the Miami Heat in the second round. Do you remember any of your pre-draft workouts? 
or any of the teams who you worked out against? Me and Jay Hart. Yeah. Me and Jay Hart everywhere, everywhere. And see, that was good for me because he's a dog on defense. And I think that showed for me, I knew how good he was defensively, but I was able to get my money, you know, regardless. So I'm like, this is one of the best defenders in the country. You know, not that I'm saying I'm sitting here making him look stupid, but getting yours, but I'm getting mine, you know, I'm getting mine. And on the other side, I'm, I'm D'ing him up because he wasn't a great offensive player. So my little bit of defensive skill looked a little better. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, I don't get credit for playing defense. I got the all-time steals lead. I'm the all-time steals leader at ASU. So, I mean, I, I wasn't a great on-ball defender. I was a great team defender, I believe. You know, right. I was there where I needed to be there, and I got quick hands. So I got steals in that way, played to passing lane. But I wasn't a great on-ball defender, and I'll be the first to admit that. I think I worked at it and it got better. So you got to my – you remember your workout at Miami. You remember the interviews, right? They didn't work me out. Oh, really? Damn. I had no idea that they were going to even draft me. So let me tell you the story about the draft. So I got a workout with the Suns. I'm expected to go 26. I don't even know if I want to say this story because I don't want to make it look bad because it's, it's the truth. Though. Because it, it kind of makes me look bad a little bit, you know what I'm saying, to be honest with you. But anyway – Fuck it. Okay, so <laughs> this is what it was. So I work out. I finished my workout with Brian Colangelo. Now, mind you, my senior year, I was going to go to the USA. Nobody knows this story. This is firsthand. I'm going to the USA, what is it, under 21s or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my fucking coach comes to my apartment and we smoking weed, man. You know what I'm saying? And he comes and he said, hey, I'm not going to let you go to that shit because they're going to test you and then everybody's going to know. So I'm like, fuck. You know, I felt like I fucked uh-huh. myself. I was right. so upset at myself for even doing that, you know? And right. that's the my biggest regret, you know what I'm saying? But I won't say regret. It's just a life lesson, you know what I'm saying? Don't let yeah. it get in the way in front of your dreams, you know what I'm saying? There shouldn't be nothing that gets in your way like that. And so, anyway, I don't go to that. And I end up going to the ABCD camp. I met Mike Miller. We had, it was a lot of pros there, a lot of pro uh, scouts there and coaches there. So that was a good, that ended up being like a lightweight blessing in disguise, blessing in disguise after a, a fuck up. But I work out with the Suns, and after I work out, I kill the workout. Brian comes up to me, and he said, hey, let me ask you a question, right? He said, if we're going to take you with the 26th pick, I need to know, did you smoke weed? Did you get caught smoking weed? And for, for me, I felt like that was a loaded question. I felt like he already knew the answer to that, mm-hmm. right? 100%. I said to him, yeah, I did. But, you know, you don't have to worry about that, no, which nobody had to. I was like, you don't have to worry about that no more. That's behind me, and I learned my lesson from that. I definitely feel like, I've learned a lot and I lost a lot with that. So I would never do anything right there to jeopardize, you know, my career or put anybody that put their trust in me, have them in a bad situation because of one of my decisions that was fucked up. So um, he was like, okay. So I felt like at that point, tell the truth. Cause I know he already knows, or I could be a bullshitter. Right. And you could lie, but then you look even worse, right? So that's gonna that's gonna follow you, yeah. Yeah, I said I'll just stand on mine and I'll take it on the chin, you know. And they end up taking Jake Sokolides with the twenty sixth pick. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jake, man, Jake, Jake's most famous for being put in the blender by Chris Webber. We threw the ball behind his back and brought it back on the other side. Jake yeah. turned around, didn't know where he was, but no. But that's but what Eddie said is one hundred percent accurate. Yo, we ask you a question in those pre draft meetings. We know the answers. Right. We just want to see, like, are you going to answer it in a way like like what Eddie did? Like, yes, it happened. A, tell the truth, and B, show that you learn and grow, grow from you that. You own it, right? yeah, yeah. You yeah. own it because if you, like like Tom said, if you bullshit, now now not only are you a guy that 
that, that smokes weed, but also you're full of shit too. So a lion, weed smoking <laughs> motherfucker. <huh? laughs> that's, that's how you go look at it, right? Like, look at this lion. Well, he's going over lying again. Can't believe nothing he's saying. But oh, as far as the draft, though, so this is funny. This is the, the craziest thing. So every, we all want to hear our name get called, right? Right. You no, know what? First round, second round. First round, you want to go up, you want to shake his hand, but regardless, you want to hear your name. So we're sitting at a, um, at the time, it's, it, at the time it was my it was my ex wife. It was her apartment. Um, we were over there. My family's there. We got some champagne bottles and shit. And I get drafted, but it comes out of commercial, and they're just talking about me. I don't even hear my name get called. No, I don't even I don't even hear my name no. called. It just comes out of commercial break. They're like, he really can fill it up, Kenny Kenny the Jet Smith. He really could fill it up. This guy went there. He had sixty one. Well, I'm like. I didn't even know. I'm like, what the hell? And then I get a call from my agent, like, hey, Pat Riley's getting ready to call you. And so to me, that was the best. That was better than hearing my name was getting that call from Pat saying, hey, are you ready to be uh, be a Miami Heat? We really like what you got going on. We need you out here in a couple of days. And I mean, it was not 48 hours that I was in Miami putting in work with Stan Van Gunny was the coach at the time. And I mean, we putting in a lot of work and they develop. I, the one thing about Miami, they develop players. They believe if they believe in you, they will pay you and they will develop you as much as they could develop you. Um, and so I'm forever grateful for the fact that they took a chance on me um, at that time. So I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm a number one Miami Heat fan, a number one Boston Celtics fan. Those are two teams that I played for that I wouldn't wouldn't care if they ever did, if they won every single game. I want them to win every single game that they play. Right. No, I never Man. want to see those, those those teams lose. But it was a, um, it was fantastic to hear Pat Riley on the other end. Being a, I grew up a Laker fan, watching them coach the Showtime Lakers and stuff. To get that call from him, it was a, uh, it was surreal for a moment. But then it was like, it's, it's go time. Yeah, because I'm imagining Pat Riley when he calls you. Does he have like a line that he says? Is there like a Godfather line or something out of a movie? What he what he says to you over the phone, or was it just like, hey Eddie? You get those best lines at practice when you. <laughs> No, you get you get the real Pat when you at practice. Okay, that was that was the cool Pat. That was hey, welcome here. The real welcome Pat is at practice. Okay, that is that's total different, man. That's whew. I'm telling you, them, them days. I don't know how them older cats made it because we had long, drawn out, hard, rough practices, and and everybody participated. Nobody took time off. So I'm looking at these older vets like Tim Hardaway, Dan Marley, his back was hurt. Tim's knee was yeah. messed up. We had Dwayne Coswell, Don McClain. I mean, we had some OG, AC Green. We had some old Cedric Sabalos. We had some older players. And I don't know how they, how they did it. I, I think that I did it because I was so young, you know what I mean? And just full of energy and so happy that I was just there. But, you know, we had some tough times there, some real hard practices for real. Thunder still walks with a limp to this day. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, he was running one day and like his back literally gave out. I mean, he fell like this, boom, like that. I mean, he was running. We were running, doing some drill, and he just, bam. And I mean, from that point, he I don't think he, he didn't play the rest of the year from that. This was early in the season. Every time you tell a story, Eddie, I feel like this this adversity hits you, but you turn it into a positive. Like it, it's like a blessing in disguise every every way. Where like Cal doesn't give you a questionnaire, and so you go to ASU, and then you just light up Cal. Like if they didn't give you that question, if they gave you that questionnaire, do you score sixty one and have the tie the record for Pac ten, Pac twelve? Scoring leader with Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And a record that still stands today, by the way. 
Does that record happen if if they don't give you that cold shoulder? Maybe with a Cal jersey on, but at the same time, you know, I look at it like this when if I would have went to Cal to stay around a lot of that same stuff that was going on and that I needed to get away from. You know, the hanger owners, the the people that are pulling you in the wrong direction, you be so a lot of a lot of times you're not even doing the stuff that they doing, you just with them and you could be caught in the crossfire and that's not talking about bullets or anything. I'm just talking about being, yeah. you know, the police, uh, them being in a situation that you don't need to be in. And um, so I think the best thing for me was to leave. You know, I was far enough away from home, but close enough to go back and forth a quick plane ride or drive, you know? So I, I, it, I it, all that's a blessing. You know what I mean? It, it all happens for a reason. And if you take, look at it, like I always say this, I'm a half-full guy. You know, I always look at the glass as half-full, not half-empty. Wow, everybody's just thinking about the negative. Well, I think the glass is half-full. Everybody thinks it's half-empty. I look at it like, hey, man, I got to have a glass of water to drink. Nah, man, I only got to have a glass of water to drink. You know what I mean? Like, I'm happy that I have that. So what am I going to do with this? So that's how I've always been. That's how I always approached everything in life. Even the situation with, with the Suns, man, I felt like, I was in running for six man a year and I felt like Dan Tony just didn't trust me. And then when the playoffs came, he stopped playing me. And like, for me, I know we shortened up the rotation, but I'm like, damn, I'm having my best year um, statistically wise. And what did I do all season long to show you that I wasn't ready for these moments? Like, right. I've always been prepared for those moments. Those are the moments that we all prepare for. It's all we all want. Nobody, you know, regular season is whatever, but you, get your name in the postseason, you know, making shots in the postseason. And I felt like a lot of, I got robbed for the opportunity when I was with Phoenix and then the chance to come back. And I wanted to come back with that team. It was, I had the most fun with that team and they turned around and signed Marcus Banks for more money than I was asking for. So then it was another slap in my face. You know what I mean? And so I took that as like, okay, well, I guess I got to work on my shit. I got to, well, I guess I'm not good enough. So then I end up going to after that. Jersey, year, I think, right. With Went the Nets. New Jersey. Yeah. yeah, with New Jersey. And I think I was top five in three-point field goal percentage all season long. And then, you know, going to Boston and the same thing. I had the same adversity in Boston. Docs, I got hurt right before, like two weeks before my adductor, two weeks before the season was over with. And then so he played Sam, and he went with Sam at the first couple playoff series, like giving him a lot of minutes. And from that point, I had two ways to go. I had the way to go to say, man, this is crazy. I can't believe he did this and this, that. I didn't go that way. The way I went was, you know what? They're going to need it. And when they need it, I got to be ready. I cannot sit here and be worried about what another person is doing, his decisions. My decision is I'll be ready. So after practice, every every night during the playoffs, I would go, because I know I didn't play the get, get, days we didn't have games. I would go to the gym and get my 200 makes in just to be ready at night, just to get ready. Like, all right, I know for a fact, because I am already did my practice during the day, did my shots during the day, but I was getting that extra crystal. No, when they call me, I'm going to be ready, man, and I'm chomping at the bit. And I think it all culminated in that game against the Lakers in the finals. It couldn't have been no better. It was in the finals. We're down 24. It's another one of those games. Kobe's roaming off of Sam. Kobe's roaming off of Rondo. He puts me in. I end up, I think, with 11 that game. Game four, yeah. It changed everything. You know, we pushed it back. We're down 24. We pushed it back. I actually hit the shot. It was probably the ugliest shot I've made in my career. Hit the shot to put us up for the first time in that game after coming back. And we never looked back after that. One high one three pick and roll with me and Paul. And I, I slipped it to the right side, shot it, and it rolled in like nasty toilet. Like, na- and I kind of yeah. I thought I was going to miss it. But 
I think if I had the wrong mentality, that shot doesn't go in. If I have the wrong mentality when he calls me, I'm not ready because I've been over there pouting instead of actually mentally being in the game like I've been in the game and been in the series. Let me ask you this, Eddie, because everywhere you've played, people always saw about you're one of their favorite teammates. I know in Phoenix, we talked about one of the biggest mistakes we ever made was letting Eddie House go because beyond what you did for us on the court, you were so good in the locker room at keeping things light when it was feeling too heavy and, and you know, barking at people when we weren't taking things seriously. You, you were just like the perfect locker room vet. And so I wonder how much of that is, oh, that's just Eddie House, it's my personality, and how much of it is also you strategically doing these things and picking your moments? I think it's just me, man, being myself. I think the the most the, the one thing for sure I, you know this I want to win you know what I mean I want to win I want to and everybody says that right we all want to win we all want to win but a lot of that be bullshit you know a lot of people just say that because it's like the right thing to say mm-hmm. you know I've lost playoff games and I be I boohooed and cried because it's like we might not ever have another opportunity mm-hmm. I might not ever get back there again you know what I mean like it just might not happen like the stars aligned for us like that that's Phoenix season. We don't come back with that same team, but you got you guys still were successful, but I wasn't a part of that. You know what I mean? Like I felt if we get past Dallas, we run through Miami. Would have won. We went run right through Miami. They couldn't guard us. You know what I mean? The big fellas wouldn't have been able to play in that game. Right. I look at it like that. The same thing when we lost in Boston uh after we won the championship, KG wasn't there. I just had a feeling that it was going to go south, you know, and I ended up getting traded that next year. They still went to the finals, but they didn't win it. And Mm -hmm. this might sound cocky or selfish, and I don't care how anybody takes it, but I feel that if I'm there, I feel we win that game. I feel I hit the shots that some of them other guys were missing if I was there. Like, that's just what I believe in my heart. Like, I wholeheartedly believe that. Like, that's not just – you know, blowing smoke up some, just trying to say that, but I really believe that, that if I would have been on that team, we don't lose the finals. And that's the same way that they say that if I wasn't on that team, when we won the final, we wouldn't have won the finals. You know, it's like, that's how I feel. And that's what I bring. So I think it's just, a, it's, it's me, you know what I'm saying? And wanted to see the, be- I want to see you be the best you could be, man. You know what I mean? I really do. The funniest thing, Tom, I remember it was the summer after Eddie won, after they won in Boston. Because Eddie, we live here in Phoenix, so the way vets do a lot is they'll come and they'll they'll um, informals. They just play locally. It's like I'm not gonna go all the way back to the team I play for now to to do the informals around Labor Day. I just join my local run here at the you know local NBA arena. And so Eddie would come in, and I remember Eddie, you were talking about how excited you were to get a ring, like the like that the physical ring that you guys were gonna get on opening night. The other thing you were talking about is in one more year and then I'll have 10. And then that's that like that was it. like for you, that was it. It was like I got my championship. I want to hit 10 years in the league. And, uh, you know, and, you know, you, you were really, really positive about that. You ended up playing 11 years and you played that, that you know, that last year, ironically enough, back in Miami. Talk about the mindset of a player getting to that 10-year mark. What does that mean? That means that you wasn't a flash in the pan, that it wasn't an accident, that you made it, and you also put in all the work you could. I tell people like this all the time, it's easy to make it, but it's, you know, we know it's really hard, but it's easy to make it. 
it's hard to stay. You know, the, the core guys stay and everybody else gets shuffled around. And I was proud of myself because I was never the guy. I was always considered undersized. I wasn't the most athletic guy. You know, I never got a, a big ass contract, but it seemed like all the teams that were fighting for championships or, or can make play, deep playoff runs were always calling my phone. So to me, in itself, it made me proud. Like, okay, I must be doing something right to where they can feel like they can count on me. I could be a piece to push them forward. Yo, so speaking of Miami, I was watching some clips today of the season just to refresh my memory. I was there for that OKC game when you uh, when you hit the shot and then you did the Cassell. Do you call it the Cassell? Because I always wondered if there was someone before Cassell. No, Sam always do it. You know, we got big nuts. That's what you say. We got big, heavy nuts. You know what I mean? And we ain't... <laughs> and this is how they look if we let them out these draws, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Um, <laughs> but, like, you, you talk about this idea of, like, I'm always ready. And it happened to me in Phoenix. It happened to me in Boston. It also happened to you in Miami where... I don't know if people know this. You were on the floor when the season ended. So in Miami, game six, Dallas is up 3-2. At the end, it's pretty like pretty down moments in Miami. I remember I was standing next to Dan Lebetard at the at the at the buzzer, and we were just like arms crossed, just like, I can't believe this just happened. But you know what Eddie House was doing? Eddie House in the closing seconds, down 10, when Sean Marion is dribbling out the ball. You're going up to Mario Chalmers, Eddie. You're pointing at him in his chest and you give him a high five and you like pat him on the back. You got your season just ended. It might be one of the most iconic like underdog stories of the of the Dallas Mavericks beating the Miami Heat in the finals. And the it seems like the world is collapsing. But here you are. Eddie, you go up to Mario Chalmers and you and you hit him in the chest and you're like what are you saying to Mario Chalmers in that moment when the when the clock is hitting zero on your season and you're just so disappointed? But what are you doing with Mario right there? I don't even remember. Ah. Perfect. I know Mario had it rough. You know, that whole season, that whole year was rough for him. You know, the coaches were hard on him. Brian was hard on him at the time. Everybody was wanting him to, to, you know, take that next step, take the next step, and they was pushing him to do it. But I don't know what I said. I know it more than likely was something encouraging because I know – at the end of the day, nobody wants to hear anything negative at that point. You know, I, what I remember about that, I don't remember doing that with Mario, but I do remember sitting at the scores table and watching them celebrate for a little bit. And as much as it hurt me to lose, I looked over at a former teammate in Jason Kidd and I was happy for him for in that in that for a split second. I looked at Jason Terry and I was happy for JT. Uh, I mean, me and JT battled through college, you know, so we always been going at each other and pushing each other to be the best. And then looking at Sean Marion, looking at Karan Butler, you know, I looked at those over there and felt like, you know what? You know, I guess if I was going to lose to anybody, I guess if I had to, you know, even the trainer, Casey Smith, he was my trainer at ASU. Um, he's, he's the head trainer with, uh, with the Dallas Mavericks. So for a half a second, you know, for a half a second, I found a little joy in that loss, just saying, I'm happy for them. And then it went back to misery. 
Hey, Maze. Yo. You like betting on sports. I love to bet on sports. I'm addicted to it. How'd you get into that? Well, I have all this information in my brain, and I just feel like I need to use it. <laughs> Let me tell you something, man. I don't have information in my brain when it comes to sports betting, but I do now, ever since I started listening to BetQL daily i mean same note too bro that's where i get all my information from no way bro oh my god it's so fun listening to joe ostrowski joe giulio and aaron hawksworth serve up wagertainment you like that i just made it up myself the sports talk you love with betting insights you need each weekday find out where the market is moving across all of the week's biggest sporting events and if you miss out on the earlier games, guess what? BetQL Daily has you covered there, too, with recaps from some of the biggest moments in recent sports. If you're not sure where to start with sports betting, start with BetQL Daily, presented by FanDuel. Listen weekdays, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern, on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. I mean, you think it's time to play some games here? Let's do this. Eddie, I think you know that you've been tipped off that we we're going to ask you some stuff, but you don't know what the question is. No, I don't. I, no, I didn't know what. I, okay. I thought this was what y'all was going to ask no, me. We're going to play a little game of trivia. All right, let's do it. Tom's trivia. We like to do this with our guests, a little trivia about your career. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Eddie House, 11 seasons in the NBA. You played for eight different teams. NBA champion. One of the best shooters in the NBA during your career. So here's the question. A grand total of 130 players, 130 players assisted you over your 11-year career. My question is not to name all 130 players, Eddie. I just want to know which player assisted you the most with 74 assists to you in your NBA career. Which player that you played with Set you up for more made baskets. Ooh, let me think. I'm playing along too because I don't know the answer. I I don't know why I want to say this guy's name, but I mean, it's like, is he the one that was diming me off the most? I'm trying to think, like, going who would I, I, I was? It wasn't Steve. It wasn't Steve because you were playing in that second unit with. Well, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna reveal too many answers here. It, it's not Steve. It's not Steve at number one. Hmm. By Steve, everybody who's listening, that's Steve Nash he's talking about. Well, you know, I've never really seen the person who was assisting me. I was just seeing a basketball come toward me, so I could put it in oh. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just looking at that pill come away. Yes! Eddie won't shoot it unless he has the ball. Eddie House. I don't care who was throwing it to me. I thank you. You, I, you know what? They was making the right decision when they was doing it. <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, go. Who you got, I mean? See, this is what I'm going off of, right? Because the thing with Eddie is because he's bounced around. So I'm trying to think, is it someone he's played with the most? Oh, you know what? Now nah, I'm, I'm tripping. I know who I should have said. At least I should have said him because I did play with him probably longer than everybody else. Rondo. Rondo. That's my guess. Rondo because he, he played so much with him. Tom, am I right? <laughs> It's not Rondo, and it's not Steve Nash. Who the hell was it? Rondo's number five. Rondo's number five. Steve Nash, believe it or not, is number 10. Who's wow. number one? All right, we done? Are we done guessing? I'll count it down from 10. Here we go. Steve Nash. Uh-huh. Tony Allen. Wow. Above Steve Nash. Yo, hold on. T.A. 
Hey, T.A. know where to put the, he know where they put that ball. He was like, man, he was working on his assist game. Swing, swing. That's a swing, <laughs> swing right there. <laughs> yes. It's the hockey assist. All right. After that, KG, 42 assists to Eddie House. KG, Kevin Garnett. First stint in Miami, Eddie Jones. Three seasons with Eddie Jones. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Number six, Ray Allen, just behind Rondo at 58. He has 58 assists. Hey, go back to Miami. Point guard in Miami. Anthony Carter. That's right. Number four. AC. AC. Now, here we go. Top three. Top three. Number three, I already kind of gave it away here, I mean. Second unit, well, not second unit, essentially. Oh, like, uh, yeah, I know. It's it's Bobo, it's Boris, Boris Diaw, Boris, it's Boris, yeah. But you know what? That's right. You know, because we had that, we had that good play. Yep. We had, we had the what was it? Elbow. Uh, it's elbow, elbow flare, elbow flare. We had that one, and then the pin, and then like uh, it was a pin down too. He would get it. I would set the back screen and hand it off to me. Yep. So that's the play. I'll bet set the back screen for live. Damn. Yeah. I forgot all about that. Do other teams steal that play once they see how well you and Boris worked it? 100%. Everyone stole everything. We stole our shit from fucking Rick Adelman. Yeah, Rick Adelman. That's why I fit so uh, I, I fit in so easily because I played with Rick the year before. Yeah. So all the, the plays was, it was exactly the same. I had no problem. I didn't have to learn a new playbook. Simple. We just changed the names now, but it's like it's the same shit. Everybody <laughs> runs the same shit. They just call it something different. Right, right, right. Number two on the list. We already said Ray. We already said KG. T.A. Paul. Paul Pierce. Paul, wow. Is that a minutes thing? Like you just played with Paul a lot? Or did he actually know where to find you a lot? That had to be a minute thing. That had to be a minute. <laughs> just volume, just straight volume. There was yeah. no – he had to pass me the ball eventually. Number number two on the list, Paul Pierce, 71 assists. And number one, the guy who funneled the most dimes – to Eddie House is drumroll, drum please. Is it J Kid? J Kid. I'm thinking, damn Jay. I played one year with Jay. I should have said him because Jay was always looking for me. That's my dog. You know, me and Jason played like we played together. I was in high school. I was getting ready to go to college. We played on the same pro am team. I got a picture of it. Jay looks so young. Sharif was on my team at uh, oh, uh, that year. Oh, we was guys. Whew. We was killing. We was killing. I think I averaged like, what, 14 or 15? Like that. I was like, ooh, I'm, I'm nice out here. I, that's when I really felt like I, I could ooh. <laughs> When did you know you were going to be an NBA player? Like, how old were you when you were like, you know what? I could I could be in the NBA. Probably. I mean, you know, you always dream that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I think, I think when I was, like, in high school, I was like, my senior year, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm kind of nice. You know, and I go play in other tournaments with right. other cats, and I'm like, killing them. I'm like, damn, I could probably... And then, you know, I got to college and played well. And I'm like, oh, it might be a little longer than I think. And my senior year, I knew I was like, I could rock, though. I mean, whenever you go on and playing with pros and you're able to hold your own, you know, you just need the right break to get in. You know what I mean? You just need to get in. Tom, did you did you end up counting how many Hall of Famers Eddie played with? No. Oh, right. Just listen to that list. We're, I mean, we just think about, like, you played with Jason. First of all, you played with three of the best point guards ever, Jason Kidd, Rondo, Steve Nash. You played with Kevin Mike Garnett. Bibby, I played with Mike Bibby. Mike Bibby. You played with uh with uh, uh KG. Oh, man. You played with LeBron. LeBron with Stat. Dwayne Wade, Chris yeah. Bosch, Amari Stoudemire. Alonzo Mourning. Alonzo Mourning. See, you know, Eddie's got the weird career where like half of it is with guys that feel 
you know, in the case of LeBron, are still playing and very, you know, current. And then half of it is from another NBA, like yeah, you, know, like you said, Eddie like, Jones and and Tim Hardaway and Dan Marley and Alonzo Mourning. Yo, what is this story? AC Green fed you three times. Hey, I've got a story about AC Green. So listen, this is my rookie season. So you know, you had to do the bag shit, carry the bag. So every what now, Pat barely gave us water. Well, he gave us water breaks, but they was short, quick, right? I mean, work you, work you, work you, get a quick water break. So AC Green, being the vet, he would make me get his water, right, for the water break. And so, like, the first, you know, three or four times, I'm going to get his water. I bring it back. As soon as I start hustling to go get my water, Pat's like, bring it in. Let's go. I'm like, I ain't got no water yet. <laughs> I, uh, okay, I did, like, three or four times, like, Hey, AC, let me get my water first and then I'll bring you some. Okay, please. Let me get <laughs> stand at half court and I will bring it to him. So I will have to go get it, bring it to half court, then try to hustle back. So I was like, hey, I'm gonna get while I'm there, I'm gonna drink my real quick and then I'll bring it to you, buddy. But yeah, man, AC Grimm, I think I have some great vets, man. Anthony Mason was another great vet, God bless his soul. He was like, he was like my main vet, man. He took he took real good care of me, gave me a lot of good game. Like, what does that mean when an NBA vet takes care of you? take you out to eat, stuff like, don't, don't make you spend your money on stuff. Like, if he's a, a OG vet, already solidified, got his money. I'm a rookie on a, uh, I, at the time, I think my contract was $300,000. Nothing, right? Like, I mean, not saying nothing, I don't want to sneeze at 300000 but it was the minimum of minimums, okay? You know, it'd take me to, out to eat, wouldn't make me spend any money. You know, I had to do little, little errands for him, no, run to the store, stuff like that. Stuff that rookies do, bring newspapers, donuts, stuff like that. But, Going out and stuff like that, I never had to pay. He just took made sure that you know I was always good. Who was the rookie that you took under your wing, and was the vet to? I think that every rookie that like once I got to a certain, I want to say like fourth or fifth year, I always mess with all of the rookies, even though they might not be a guy that make the team. I mess with all. You remember Dijon? Yeah, Dijon Thompson. Yeah, yeah, Dijon Thompson. I took him. Norris Cole. When my last year, I would take him out to eat and really talk to him. And this guy was taking my job. You know what I'm saying? I, this was a guy they waved me for. You know what I'm saying? They, they drafted. And then I knew, it, but at the end of the day, it had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with, you know, where I was at in my career and where they were trying to go with their organization. So he's a guy that I talk, I mean, every, I mean, big baby. <laughs> when we were in Italy and we were in England, I, I took care of him out there. I made, you know, make sure he was feeling at home and comfortable. I mean, anybody, any and everybody, man, I, I I didn't, like, discriminate. So let me ask you, when you see Marcus Smart call out, not call out, but just basically. He called him out. He called him out. You know, say some concerns about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown about not moving the ball enough and they shoot, you know, and the ball sticks with them or whatever. He's right. But how would you have handled that situation? I think that's a team meeting. You can have a team meeting about that. I think. That's what a lot of us did. You know, we held each other accountable to where I should be able to be real. I should be able to be raw and uncut with you because I want you to do the same with me. Okay. And that could have been done behind closed doors, but maybe it was, you know, there's something we don't know. We don't know about team meetings and maybe he needed to get that message across because the coach wasn't getting it across. And I think that he holds, enough power and enough respect from his peers and his, his teammates to where when he said that, I don't, they shouldn't have took it as a shot. They should have took it as like, we know he wants to win. We want to get better. And, and you, they, they've been playing better since he said that they've been moving the ball. You see, it's, a, it's, and it, that's how it should be. I still think that they're a, a couple pieces away from really being 
competitive. I think the the Schroeder, I'm not really a big fan of Dennis Schroeder, uh, especially when you already got guys that put the ball in the hole, you know? Right. So I think that was important for Marcus Smart to do that. Yeah, I was just going to say, because maybe he escalated. Maybe he realized, like, I already did that team meeting. I already said it privately. Nothing happened. I already brought it to coach. Nothing happened. If we're going to actually address this, then this is the nuclear option, is going to the press about it. When you ask a question and you're just keeping it solid, you know, it ain't like he what he's saying was made up. You know, there were some lackluster efforts by uh, Jalen Jalen Brown, we've seen it. I think ESPN highlighted it, where he make a pass, he's not even involved in the game. You know, he might turn it over, he's not involved in the game. And so those type of things wear on you too when guys are taking shots after shots and they're bad shots, and then at the same time not doing the little things on the other end, we got to start, we got to have a real conversation after that. You know, and we're not winning games with that. I think that they have a good nucleus with those three guys. I think they're missing some pieces. You know, Tatum and, and Brown could be your closers. But the ball has to move. That team has to move the basketball and move their bodies in order to get shots. And, you know, the other two guys, they're going to get their opportunities and their looks. They just don't have to be forced. But they got to get everybody else involved first. Eddie, when you see LeBron James playing in 2021 and now going to be 2022, as a teammate, as a guy that went at him in the, in, in the NBA playing with the Celtics, are you just like in awe that he's still doing this? Like, did you see him playing at this high level in 2011? Were you like, hey, this guy, like, he is going to be playing until he's 40? I play anything past him, man. That that dude is so unbelievable. Like, really. And here, I got a couple stories, man. One morning, like, we coming in and, you know, we have our, like, 9.30 film session after a game. And everybody's coming in dragging ass a little bit. we tired. I don't know if it was off of a, a, a back-to-back where we just got into town and had to – I don't know how – the scenario of it, but we were all kind of tired coming in, sitting down. So we sitting down, just, you know, waiting for the film to get started. He comes in last. And I mean, he walks in, grabs a basketball and goes up and boom, dunks the, I mean, dunks the shit. Out. And I'm thinking to myself, like, damn, I ain't even get the cold out of my eye yet. And he's already found. That is amazing. Like, I was like, this guy must be, a, I mean, I think he's an alien. And the other thing, so, I mean, you know this too. I was the fastest. I felt like I was the fastest on my team. I didn't win. I didn't lose sprints. When we did sprints, right. I won those every time. And I would push and I would talk shit about it. Because I right. felt like if I pushed everybody, I get everybody trying to chase me and chase me down. We all going to be in better shape. Okay. And it's fun. So in practice one day, I get to go and I get to talk. Oh, you slow motherfuckers. You know, I'm, I'm like, there's no way that y'all got this damn slow. I'm like, I can't believe I, I might turn backwards this time. You know, just fucking with it. So now I'm getting under LeBron. I'm like, I thought you was faster than that. <laughs> I was like, yo, big ass was supposed to fight in. I thought you was faster. Yeah, all that smoke, man. I thought you was faster than that. So we get going, boom. And I could see him, I could see him working hard. I was like, okay. I was like, oh yeah, you're a little close, but you ain't close enough. So the next time we run the down and back, I probably beat him by maybe about three feet, right? Which is a dust in track. In track, I dusted him. But when 200, well, you're eight, and I seen this just from my own eyes. When you're 6'8", because I, I remember after he did that, I was like, damn, he kind of close, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, damn, he was, he was right there. And, and we have to get weight and body fat every Monday. So I picked one time on the scale. He was 260. I'm thinking, you 6'8", 260, and you only and you this close to me? Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, that to me, the most gifted basketball player I ever played with, with speed, with athleticism, with IQ, with passing ability, with all the intangibles that you that – you, would want to have he has them and 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 he ha- and he does all of them at a high level so 
it, that man, that that really amazed me to see somebody that was two hundred sixty pounds run that fast and be like right there with me. It was unbelievable. Yo, he's he's the size of Carl Malone. I mean, he was running so fast. I know I'm fast. You know, I'm thinking like I'm like oh, I dusted him. I'm like oh, he's kind of right there. I still talk about it. Like, I mean, I, that's why I say in track, I dusted you. But in real life, <laughs> he could have reached out and tackled me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he could have got me in real life. You know what I mean? I've heard stories that he's like 275, 280 at some points of his career. Like the size of LeBron James. I mean, like we say Carl Malone, but. Carl Malone never ran that fast. He ran the lane, but never that fast. Not like that, yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he was a legit 260. I know. I've seen it. Not saying I'm guessing. I looked. Yeah, with yeah. My, he didn't. He didn't want people seeing his weight. Like he would like make sure nobody was around when he did it. And like I snuck it. I was like, ooh, that's what I said when I seen it. Ooh, ooh, I got it. I got you, bro. I saw it. Oh my gosh. I said, I'm asking, your secret is safe with me, but damn. You know? Yo, did you ever fail the body fat percentage test? No. The weight test? No, never. I mean, I didn't get chunky until after, you know what I mean? Shit, after after I started hooping. No, well, was- But that's the whole thing. It's like there, there's dudes who who aren't chunky, who fail it. Yeah, no, no, never, 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 never there. I was in, I will say, I was in great shape when I was, that last year in Miami, and the whole time that I was there, I was super young the first stint, and then the last, I was just in real, I was in in real good shape taking care of my body. So, Eddie, in your career, you got to play for a team that was owned by Donald Sterling, and then we just had the story come out about Robert Sarver this past week. People don't really understand the relationship that players have with the owners. So I'm wondering if you could give people kind of like a, a look into what it's like for a player to either witness some mis- like we- weird stuff in the in the arena or be around some stuff where you're like, ah, that's not right. But what is a player supposed to do in those cases? And did you ever witness Sarver or Donald Sterling do things that you were like, that's that's not cool. That's not right. I'll give you the two stories. Well, with with Sarver, there was really not that much interaction with with me and Sarver. Um, you know, most of the time the owners get real cool with the guys that's making the, mo- the most money. Those yeah. are guys that they really talk to. When you're kind of down on that totem pole a little bit, you know, they'll say hi. And that's pretty much what me and Sarver's relationship was, was cordial. How you doing? Everything's good. All right, cool. We keep moving. Pass by. How you doing? That's pretty much it. Cut and dry. As far as um, any of the other actions and things he's been accused of, I have no idea. I haven't seen that. Uh, Have I heard people, you know, talk about that myself? I have not seen it, but I have heard things. You know, I heard whispers and murmurs of, you know, some some foul things, you know, some things that you're like, hey, that that wasn't cool. And I'm, you know, whatever. You just keep moving from there. It's nothing I could do. You know, nothing I could say, nothing I could do. And you know, I really don't have any, no, no, no real witness of it happening. She treated us well as far as we had food on the plane. Because I'm going to get to a story. We had food on the plane. We had food before practice, after practice. We had, uh, you know, nice travel arrangement. We had our practice facility, hot water in our in our gym, you know. Well, on the flip side, Donald Sterling, when I was with the Clippers, we practiced at Southwest Junior College. And if you're not familiar with that, you have to drive through every hood in LA, every like set. So you're going through a plus, a Crip set, the, the Samoan set, you know what I'm saying? The Mexican set. You're going through all of that to get to practice at a junior college, right? You get to the junior college, you practice. When you're done with practice, first off, there's no food before practice. There's no food after practice. After practice, the showers don't work. So you have to put Yo. on clean clothes on a nasty body and then go home and shower, okay? 
when we flew out to go wherever we were going, traveling uh, to play, no food. Guys would bring in Wendy's, McDonald's, Carl's Jr., all Taco Bell. That's the stuff we were eating before games. After games, it could be bags of chips. We didn't have anything, like nothing. It was worse than when I was in college, like the way we were treated as far as you want your athletes to perform, so you have to give them the things so they could perform well. We didn't have any of that. It was the bare, bare necessities of the bare necessities. And just the weird shit that he would do is after games, right, right as the coach is done talking, at, right as everybody's starting to strip naked, he would come in and, like, why we're all, you know, and want to talk to, like, you know, Elton, Corey. It was just a weird vibe he had. Because he would always show up. And it was like a thing in the locker room, like, hey, man, here he come. You better hurry up and get in the shower before he come in here. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> it was one of those things. So that was the the weird thing. I never spoke to Donald Sterling, never had any engagement with him. The only thing was I was trying to get in the shower and out before he got in there. I mean, this is like an open secret with the league, right? Like, Eddie, you're not coming into the Clippers situation totally blind to these this, the environment, right? Listen, I'm coming from Miami, so it's first class. I have no idea what anybody else is dealing with because the guys that I do Clippers, that's all they knew. You know what I'm saying? Keon Quentin Richardson, Darius Miles, Corey McGee. All they knew was what the Clippers was doing. I come from a first-class organization. We had our own, our own plane with our own seat that stretched out like a bed. And so I'm coming from there to this thing, and I'm like, what the hell were y'all doing over here? They... And I mean, it was it was just the, it was the worst. It was the worst, the worst. The funniest shit is I know players who played in Miami and used to complain about man, like they doing this shit. I don't like this shit. Da da da. And then they go to another team. Let I mean, forget the Clippers, just other teams, and they'd be like, "Oh, y'all don't have this." Y'all don't do it this way. It's like it's so disorganized. Like even things like the family room, the way they do the family room is like. This, and they're like, oh, shit, I didn't know how good I had it in Miami because it's so organized and so well-structured. I mean, you got to deal with the bullshit, like the crazy practices, the body fat percentage tests, all that stuff. But the reality is, like, they put you through stuff, but they take care of you. They do things the right way. And the Clippers, like, I can't think of – the Donald Sterling Clippers is the exact opposite, right? Like, the, the total opposite when in terms of, like, how you're treated – how much money they're going to spend on anything. Uh, and, and But it's crazy. I didn't think about it. It's, this is true for all players. When you've only played one place, you kind of think like, this is this is it's life. It. Yeah. Like, you can't imagine like the, in other teams, they're doing it completely different. And that's, that's just always funny to me. It's like when a guy gets traded or a guy finally signs as a free agent somewhere else and he's looking around like, y'all got a, you got a, a hot tub and a cold tub. I'm like, yeah, don't, doesn't, have, doesn't every facility have this? Like, we ain't had that shit. Hey, and Pat Riley used to say it all the time. You know, when you know we had those tough practices, and you know people be under their breath cursing, and he would line us up and say, "Yeah, you guys think the grass is green on the other side until you get over there." You know, and it's that was if that couldn't be the most truth spoken from when. I used to think that, like, man, these dumbass practices, they hella long, we get work. Because that last <laughs> year that I was there, let me tell you this story. I, I tell this story a lot. That last year that we were in Miami, it was, we were, like, almost mathematically eliminated from, uh, from playoff contention, like, right after All-Star break. So imagine we not even 
it's like we just trying to get the season over with, okay? It's before D-Wade. I want to say Karan Butler, Rasul Butler, God bless his soul. This is their rookie season. So Mike James is there for the first time, first year. So anyway, we get there. Lafonso Ellis, he lines us up like he always do. And he has this little card that he takes out. He starts walking up and down, pacing, pacing, pacing. And he tells us, hey, we're mathematically eliminated. I have a boss that I have to answer to, just like y'all have a coach that y'all got to answer to. And from this moment on, we're going to work, 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 and earn our money. And if any of y'all got a problem with it, my door is wide open. I'll get your ass up out of here, right? <laughs> and from that moment, and I'm not playing, we had three-hour practices every single oh God. Yo. From that point on, and this, we would start off with, um, you know, how when you do the uh, a man in the middle, pass to the wing, he passed back to the middle, yeah. pass over there, up and down. So up and down would count as one. We would have to do two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 10, 8, 6, 4, 2. The pyramid. Like, and then we would do the three-man weave after that, the same way. That was the start of it. Then we do our lane cut drill. Two on we're banging. one, three on two. Like, man. It was so bad. Now, think about just how bad it was. When you in South Beach and you don't want to go nowhere but home, you don't <laughs> even want to. All you want to do is go home and lay down. That's all it was. I promise. And it was um, that was hell, man. Those were hellish practices. And that, and he really meant that we was going to earn our money. Brian Grant could attest to that because he was on that team, too. That was hell. And I, I remember the, the like after a week, I look at like Eddie Jones making the money, Brian making the money. I said, man, why y'all ain't telling this man something? Y'all got all the money like. Y'all can't tell them, like, slow it down a little bit. They, but Pat, Pat ruled with an iron fist, and, I mean, everybody respected him. You know, he's the godfather. So it was what it was. Crazy. Well, I feel like we could go for days with Eddie, man. Hours, yeah, oh, yeah. my God. That was amazing. I mean, you got anything else before we before we wrap? Nah, man. If I start something else, we're gonna have another hour and a half <laughs> podcast on our hands. We got we just gotta have Eddie come back, man, and do some more, man. Oh, no doubt, no doubt, Eddie. Anytime. Tell the people. Uh, I know you're real proud of your son and and what he's doing right now. But uh, tell the people where he's at and uh, what you're up to these days. Well, my son's at New Mexico, University of New Mexico. Coach Richard Patino is the head coach. It's his first year there. My son transferred from Arizona State. It's his first year. They got a win last night against FAU. Um, you know, just happy that he's he's happy playing basketball again and he's feeling like himself. You know, smiling on the court, having fun. What I'm doing right now, I'm you know where I work with the Pac-12 Network. I do color commentating with them. I do analyst work with FS1. Also do color commentating with FS1 as well. And we're looking to try to do something with CBS uh, right now if we can. Yeah, just trying to stay in the game, man. You know, it's, it's the best way to stay in the game without actually. You could go to sleep when you're done with the game. So <laughs> you don't care who wins or loses. Yeah. You call the game, you're a part of it, you as close as you could get, and then you go home and you don't have to worry about watching tape and breaking down things and worried about why y'all lost or why y'all won and how you guys could get better. Because I think as a coach, I think they never turned it off, man. The best shit ever, man. I'll never forget this. The first game I went to after I left the Suns, when I joined the media or whatever, and for a while I didn't go to any games or whatever. The first game I went to was Nick's Suns, the one with J.R. Smith, hit the game winner in the corner. Mm -hmm. I remember that, the three-pointer. And I remember the shot went in, and it was triple zeros and lights, and everyone was like, oh, shit, the Suns lost. And I remember for a second 
for just a second i felt that oh man and then i was like wait i don't give a shit like i <laughs> work here and so like i walked out I'm like all right y'all have a nice night like i'm happy i'm, I'm right. leaving my life is awesome so it is a good feeling when you do when you're on this side man when you like you said eddie you don't have any of that feeling of like that depression that hits that like because all oh, we lost Pat Riley hit it on the head, man. It's winning and it's misery. And that's the truth. There's no in-between. I mean, a lot going on in the NBA these days. And sometimes you feel like you're behind and you miss the biggest sports headlines from the night before. Have you ever wondered, I mean, how what happens in the league or in the NBA might affect your bets or impact this week's bets? I'll be honest with you, man. I try. I try. I wake up in the morning. I turn on the radio, satellite radio, local radio, trying to get insights. You can't listen to every podcast, though, and every radio station, Tom. So how do you how does one narrow it down to the information that I need to make good bets? I mean, there's a lot of like nightly recap podcasts but if you want one with a betting angle what you should do is relive the best in sports from the night before with bet mgm tonight presented by bet mgm i listen to it because there's just so much stuff out there that i can't possibly keep up i like that they have this kind of new age look at how to approach the nba or any sport bet mgm tonight is a high energy live destination for casual and hardcore sports fans alike it's engaging it's polarizing it's relevant so get caught up in the sports betting world with a heavy dose of entertainment. Quentin Mayo, my guy Q from NBC Sports Washington and Ryan Horvat from 1250 AM The Fan and Trista Crick are joined by on-site correspondents to bring you insider information in real time. Every detail matters when making bets. BetMGM tonight dives deeper to help give you the edge. That's right, guys. It's fun to bet on the games, but it's even way more fun when you've got the inside scoop. Tune in to BetMGM tonight, presented by BetMGM. Listen on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's BetMGM tonight, presented by BetMGM. That's BetMGM tonight, presented by BetMGM. You heard it here, folks. That's BetMGM tonight, presented by BetMGM. And in case you're wondering, BetMGM tonight, presented by by BetMGM. What you didn't hear before, but what I'm going to tell you right now, you need to tune in to BetMGM tonight, presented by BetMGM. For the people in the back, louder. BetMGM tonight, presented by BetMGM.